0: This is a post-Christian podcast. Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast.
1: All right. Well, today we are... Um, well, I was talking about just, you know, everything that's going on right now. And, you know, it's, it's devastating to see the police violence continue. It's... it's it's really tough to see that. It's also amazing to see some of the changes that are being made, and especially here in, um, we can uh, see happening. I've got a lot of questions. Um, over the past few years, I've become someone who likes to look into things. And... Uh, and study things and, and try to figure everything out and that's what I've been been doing and, and uh, trying to support my friends who are out there doing really amazing work I was invited recently to get, go to a, a, a march with uh, pastors and unfortunately having kids I wasn't able to go so mm-hmm. life is weird right now and it's strange being a dad a few years ago I could have done whatever I wanted but anyway where we're at right now um but i hope you're all doing well um just an update my neighborhood was uh a lot of it was burnt down and uh and that was is difficult it was difficult explaining it to my kids um where i think a lot of us who are parents are are trying to explain things to our kids i I was able to sit down and read a really great book uh on martin luther martin luther king jr with my my kids and milo really loved it which was really exciting so um having those important conversations with our kids you know because the future is really i mean the children are the future i've heard mm-hmm. <laughs> and um helping them not continue to build on this system that's hurt so many people and um i'm hoping as this, as the system changes that we move into a, a you know that, that we reform into something better. You know, I always fear that, that uh, the rich will come in and take advantage of, of movements and um, my hope and prayers and, and work will be towards not seeing capitalism take over uh, these movements. And uh, anyway, I... I I've been studying a lot lately and I've been reading a little bit of Hegel and I want to share that with you today. And so we're going to get in that and we'll probably do some crossover stuff. Um, But I wanted to talk about something that I think we all can relate to is uh, Christianity. And um, some of us here are Christians. Some of us are not Christians. Some of us are agnostic Christians, Christian atheists, just atheists just agnostics that's what I love about this congregation is because we are a diverse group of people um and we truly are are learning to work together and uh respect one another's differences and 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 talk about one another's differences and uh and that's where change happens That where that's where love happens um and that's how equality is built upon um but recently i have been reading a book about hegel and uh, the philosopher hegel and uh it's really blown my mind and i really want to share some of this with you and so christianity i've always been a speaker of grace i've always talked about grace and Christianity is uh, being a Christian is free. And, and grace is free, and, and what is grace and what does grace outside of Christianity look like? Um, but one of the things I, I was kind of looking at as I was reading this book and, and seeing the transformation of the, on Hegel's work uh, over the years, viewing seeing how his views of Christianity changed as a philosopher and changed and radically changed his whole philosophy, um, really blew my mind. Um, and so one of the things that I, I really realized is, is, and I've probably realized this before and said it before, but I don't know. But one of the things I, I was thinking about is what is the key to Christianity? And I believe that key is love. I believe the key to Christianity is love. Um, so maybe, you know, for all of us good legalistic kids, who grew up evangelical, um, you know? Maybe the requirement for to be free is the freedom of grace. But the idea is is to connect with Christianity. Uh, love is the key. Love is what transforms Christianity from a religion of uh, morals and good deeds and works and and you know the way we should think or not think it transforms that when we when we enter if it within love when we allow love to be what transforms us um, so let's look at this more what without it it's you know I said it's just a practice we just we enter into a practice Christianity just becomes a practice when we enter in it into it and I think when we re- when a lot of people really enter into it, it becomes this practice of, of, well, I go to church on Sunday and I interact with the music and the lit- liturgy and, you know, the sermon and the pastor and it becomes this, this process and we go, you know, what is this? You know, and it, and it becomes kind of a, a practice in our lives. But the hope from this practice, the idea behind this practice that you can't really authentically experience this practice without love that the key to Christianity what makes Christianity beyond religion is an experience with love
0: Hmm.
1: and everything filtered through love and realizing that when Christ came you know he was Somewhat reforming Judaism uh, in a way, and what he continued to bring back though to it was this concept of love. This love that you know you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I say love your enemy. You know, and the idea was love. He 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 brought it in, said you know it's not about duties and works. And 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 these practices of, of of religion that makes us just good moral human beings, it's beyond that, and it's uh, and that's love. We're going to get into that a little bit more. Um, these are just some little notes I took. So Christ and Paul are trying to to help us realize. In our life, what is love? What does love look like? But Christ and Paul seem to come in and try to help us manage what love is, grasp this concept of love. What is love? And um, Hegel, the uh, probably, I guess depending on what time of type of philosophy you subscribe to, um, but is probably one of the, if not the greatest, one of the greatest philosophers to have ever lived and probably one of the smartest human beings to live. Um, have you ever tried to read Hegel? Almost impossible. I've been reading a book about Hegel, and it's allowed me to now start to open up some Hegel but uh, and of, his own, of his own writings. But in 1797, Hegel came to see Christianity as a religion of love. No, it was no longer a religion of moral law. And this was a big moment for Hegel because Hegel had, before this, always just seen it, Christianity is a good moral law, and he saw it just the same as all religions, and he thought, you know, it's positive, it's good, it's moral, but somehow love all of a sudden struck him, and he has these two different essays that he wrote, one on Christianity uh, before this love moment, and then one... Around seventeen ninety seven, ninety eight, that he wrote on love, uh, of Christianity and love, and it it's completely transforms his view, and, and it's really amazing. So, it becomes you know, so it, it becomes a moment for Hegel, uh, revolutionary for one of our greatest thinking minds, changes his philosophy, and takes him into his own. He becomes his own in the moment where he experiences the love that he finds in Christianity and even through the resurrection, which is for me, uh, you know, the death and resurrection, I I always kind of struggle like with some of those ideas of what does resurrection really bring us? But for Hegel, those things he saw that love, you know, moved out out, out, through life, through death, uh, through a new being, and it really is amazing. And so Hegel really becomes his own when he understands uh, the love of Christianity, um, you know, and, and and it should be this should be the type of thing that happens for us. I think when we experience when we experience the love of this faith, and we ask ourselves why we we are involved in this faith, is I think ideas like love is a lot of wise draws us in. There's a lot of us who listen on on uh, Revolution online or, or, or watch it live here who um we don't know why we're sticking around you know like why are we sticking around a system that's abused us why are we sticking around uh something that's that's hurt us and the same point we all see this kind of you know thread of grace and this thread of love that keeps drawing us back in that says you know i still want to be in this community you know, I still want to talk about this. There's there's something about Jesus, you know, there's something about Paul the Apostle. There's something there that continues to draw me in. And I think when we look at someone like Hegel, you know, a brilliant philosopher and see that even even this transformed him, that it's not something that like, well, we're just we're just brainwashed or, you know, we're 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 just we're just simple people. <laughs> we're just simple people. You know, um and, I, and one of the things I liked that I think Hegel saw was is that, you know, Hegel was big into the idea of contradiction and that we all have contradictions, contradictions that we can never, we can, only thing we do is realize they're there. We can't change those contradictions. And one of the things he realized is that love not only, not only accepts that contradiction and embraces that contradiction, but almost in a way validates that contradiction. And, and that's a really amazing place to be. And if you think about how powerful love is, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself here because I've got it kind of in the process, but I kind of want to jump ahead, so I'm going to try not to. Um, but we'll see in a minute that love does embrace this idea of contradiction. And that contra- the power of love is that it has contradictions within it. And how that works—it's really, really beautiful. And you know, so Jay, you know, uh, you know, some of you might be thinking, like, well, I tune into Revolution because I want to, you know, I want to talk about what's going on now and, and what's happening in the world, and you know, and, and I get that, you know, like, I mean, I'm in the middle of it. Um, and what I'm going to say is, I believe that this talk today has completely to do with what we're going through in this world and how we react to what's going on with social unrest. With basically a revolution happening, a real revolution happening, and um, a movement happening, and riots happening, and, I mean, it's an amazing time to be alive. Um, You know, I, I didn't think I would see something like this in my lifetime. At the same time, going through a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic. Yesterday, I went to a flea market. I thought I'd drive out to a flea market. I was like, you know, I just need something normal. I'm going to go to a flea market for an hour. That's my favorite thing in the world. Unfortunately, Minneapolis is zoned so you can't have flea markets. <laughs> I don't know why. That seems unjust. Um, so I drove an hour out to this flea market and pulled up, and there's, you know, and they were like social distancing and masks. So I was like, okay, pull up. Not one person is social distancing. There's hundreds of people there, and I literally saw maybe five masks. Oh, no. So I just turned around and enjoyed the drive um it was kind of a bummer because you see everybody on the news were like these you know these protesters need to go get checked they're causing problems or or donald trump's having these 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 meetings and you know these these rallies and he's going to get everybody covid and then i drive up to a a giant flea market and I'm like oh well maybe you should also be mentioning giant flea markets that no one's wearing masks at you know and that's kind of how how life is and with our contradictions and everything like that like if we just live our life focused on Facebook or the news even or you know Instagram you know we think like oh it's you know it's the protesters and Trump and this is all spreading because of that you know and then I drive an hour out of town and no one is wearing a mask and hundreds of people gathered together you know what I mean? It's just, I went into the grass station today. I always get Caleb some coffee before we get here. Only guy with the mask, me and the people working there. Uh. You know, and it's like, you know, so it's just funny how we even create scapegoats un- unconsciously. You know, like, oh, it's these people and these people. Like, no, it's all of us. Mm-hmm. We're acting like nothing happened. Like, oh, something else is happening in the news, so we don't yeah. need to wear these anymore. And we have this short attention span. Mm. And it doesn't allow us to be critical thinkers because all of a sudden we're supposed to jump into this situation and not look at that situation. And what I'm trying to do in my own work, in my own life, and I want to encourage you guys to do this too, is when I'm always saying think, 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 what I want to help you to do is think. I don't want you to believe everything I say. What I want you to do is think. And I want you to think critically and look into things is that sometimes we have to look into things and understand things. You know, I'm a big... uh, Martin Luther King Jr., as everybody probably knows, is my hero. And he said, "It's not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends mm. that we'll remember. And I love that quote. Um, it, it changed my life. It really did. Um, but I've also have to temper it with the idea of not speaking out of ignorance. you know, And you know, reminding myself like, why do I wear a mask as I wear a mask for the other? Mm. You know, why do I do this? You know because the mask isn't for me you know um, but you know why do I protest why do I support these people why do I go out and do this why do I you know why are we you know why do we desperately need civil rights in this country Mm. beyond civil rights at this point we need equal rights Um, pure equality you know and uh, I've gotten a little bit of a rabbit trail here but these I I, what I'm trying to say is, is that we 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 let our focus move just so quickly because of the social media and because of the news and whatever they report. And so it's hard to be a critical thinker. But I want to encourage you guys, you know, ways you can be a critical thinker is looking things up online, um, knowing what your news sources are, you know, trying to read them with critical eyes, knowing that they're not going to be all right or all, you know, because no one's, you know, not a lot of reporters or experts on social justice or on, Mm -hmm. you know, Pandemics, or you know, on capitalism, or things like that, but just educating ourselves to think well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what does this have to do with love? Is well, that's what blew Hegel's mind. And Hegel is the great philosopher and asks the great questions and de- thinks deeply. In, in oh shoot, I just got disconnected. Okay, and so he thinks deeply. Ah, got disconnected again. Hopefully, we're still connected. And tries to de- tries to think deeply and ask the important questions. And what he realizes is that with that concept of that view of love, it radically changes that. So when we think deeply, we think through with the concept of love. And we're going to talk about love and get even further into it and how amazing it is. And I know we all know love, but love really does get amazing. Um. So for Hegel, love uh, is the only, for for Hegel, it's only love that points beyond the structures of moral law, you know, and whether that be moral law from, you know, religious law, different religious laws, um, my own moral law, um... You know, no matter what that is, is, is that love, you know, it's only love that points beyond it. So we I have this own, like, oh, I have my own philosophy, or oh, I, you know, I grew up this way, so my political thinking is this way, and so I've created my own moral law. You know, This is how I was treated as a kid or as an adult by these people. So this is how I'm going to treat them back. Or this is how I was raised. So what goes beyond that? And love is the one that points beyond that. Love is the one that points beyond and says, okay, I don't want to scapegoat every single conservative. I'm not a conservative myself. But it also says, I don't want to scape every progressive. Scapegoat every progressive either. And I'm not a progressive myself either. See, I'm not going to let you stick a finger and put me in a place because I just don't have a place to sit right now and rest politically for, for anybody sorry um, but that's because I'm trying to think critically and sometimes when you're thinking that critically there's that lack there there's that gap there that you kind of have to live in this uncomfortable gap of going like here I am you know not gonna make everybody happy because I'm not gonna be able to tweet the perfect tweet or say the right thing or use the right hashtag um, but I can say that love is guiding me into these concepts and these ideas that is always moving me beyond my moral structure which is causing an evolution in my own thinking and my own life and i think what you see with with you know what's what's going on in this country is you're seeing a lot of people change out change things out of love and seeing things past their moral their their um moral law but you also see some people who are completely stuck within their moral law and another person completely stuck in the moral law and what happens is we come to conflict when we're you know unjust system unjust system you know or you know need for justice this controlling justice you know it's like moral what do we do we win it with moral law or do we win it with love and I'm a firm believer that we win it through love and and love looks different for a lot of people Um, you know but I definitely think people going out there protesting, making these changes and differences are showing a type of love. And a lot of them have moved beyond the moral law, you know, they're, for different reasons. And um, we could spend hours on that, but I just want to throw some light on that to let you know that this is something that that really works for today. This is something that in this moment we find ourselves in is something to focus on. Um, you know, so just be able to Critically think, get past your own moral law, and allow love to do that. Um, so Todd McGowan, who wrote a book on Hegel, uh, a book called Emancipation After Hegel, which is a <laughs> mind-blowing book, and sometimes really good chapter, and the next time a chapter I can't understand and I have to read 15 times. But also the type of book where I found like paragraphs that I could spend weeks on uh, which I really love the idea and I think that's what I'm starting to love about philosophy is that I can I can I can spend so much time on a paragraph that someone writes because I want to simplify it and I want to talk about it here with you guys um, so Tom McGowan wrote a book on Hegel and he says of this about Hegel he says um, about Hegel's ideas of love he goes um, love has no limits because in contrast to duty it has the ability to identify with the difference of the other without eliminating that difference. Did you hear that? It says, love has no limits because in contrast to duty it has the ability to identify with the difference of the other Without eliminating the difference. And sometimes love will go in and celebrate that difference. And so that's a pretty amazing thing, you know, no limits. And, and it contrasts with duty. And I was thinking about that word duty, <laughs> it's a funny word. Um, but but uh, there's a Pedro the Lion song, and that said, If all is left is duty, um, then I'm falling on my sword. At least then I would not have to serve an unseen, distant Lord. And, you know, the idea of just like, I think for a lot of us who grew up in that time in the you know, 80s and 90s in evangelical religion, it just seemed to be all work based all about mm-hmm. duty, all about your duties. And um, But even now, because people's idea of what righteousness is and different things change, it can still become all about duty. You know, um, you know. Oh, are you not doing this? Well, I did this. You know, and I didn't. And you'll see, you'll see a lot of people. You know what they post on, you know, on on on, on online and things like this. By you know, you know. Sometimes we're, we're 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 signaling to where we're at and where we stand and what what our work is and our duty. You know, and Hegel and and Todd McGowan, who's who, who's luckily helped explain Hegel to me because I would not be able to read Hegel without Todd McGowan. Um, he says, you know shows that love has no limits because it's in contrast to duty. It has the ability to identify with the difference of the other without eliminating that difference. So often we don't have to go here and here and I have to be right or you have to be right or we're done. Um, he's saying that Hegel's arguing that there's some way to come in and see the differences and, and not try to eliminate those differences. That's a tough one. That is a really tough thing to do. Um, but then, if you think about Martin Luther King, and he goes, you know, um, l- 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 you know, darkness can't now out- drive out darkness. Hate does not drive out hate. The only thing that can change an enemy into a friend is love. So when love goes in, and the idea of not having this. Agenda. When you love without an agenda, which is hard to do for a lot of us, because we are stuck in our 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 uh, our own moral law that thinks that we've got to convert someone else to our moral law because our moral law at this given time and moment, we all feel like we've arrived and created the perfect thing, and now we're we've got the right moral law, so we should change this person. But with loving without this expectation of change, you can come together and maybe your moral law is going to change. And maybe their moral law is going to change but the fact is when love goes beyond that, then darkness starts to drive darkness can't drive out the darkness. only light drives out darkness. you know So love is the only force capable of turning an enemy to a friend. You see these things come together and maybe the love is the one thing that illuminates what needs to be changed. You know, and I think we miss, we, we sell short the ideas of compromise and, and things like that because we think, well, I don't want to compromise. That I mean, compromise a bad word. But what we don't realize is that somebody here might have an idea and, and this person have an idea, and, and neither one of them are fine tuned. But bringing these two together with love, where there is able to be, have the conversation, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Just when two people come together, there's a mutual recognition of their humanity uh, to speak and talk. And 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 Dr. King saw that quite often is that that was the most powerful thing he could do was bring people together and have conversation and talk from different aisles or different communities or different groups and, and discuss this thing and see uh, what comes out of that. If see if it, it, where love transforms those moments uh, radically. Now King knew what he wanted. And he brought that to the to two people. And he made great change, but it came at a horrible... It came at the ultimate price. Um, but it came through a concept of love. the concept of, of loving. Now, this is a hard one to conceive because I don't know if we all have... You know, if we all... Sometimes it's just easy to be like, oh, love. You know, it sounds like, you know, all you need is love, peace, and hippie stuff. And, you know, that didn't work, Jay. And, no, I get that. I'm not saying... We don't think critically. I'm not saying we don't disagree, um, but that we – yeah, I, we're sorry the sound's low. Um, but yeah, we, we, we try to love beyond ourselves. We try to love – what I'm going to say is we try to love beyond our own, our own uh, moral law. We love beyond, beyond our own morality. If that makes sense, and and then we maybe really do change the system. It takes longer, you know. And right now, I think the system that's being changed—it's—we've got to remember it's taken hundreds and hundreds of years. And so, I think things, steps that are being made right now to change these injust laws are proper things to be done. You know, but I also know that there's going to become a time where you have to sit down and agree to one another of what these things are going to look like. And that's when love is going to be important. That's when thinking well, thinking critically, understanding the issues, understanding the laws, you know, understanding where they come from, why they're there, um, and what's just about them, what's unjust about them, and, and what needs to be changed. So when we do come together, we have the facts we have the uh, the thoughts, the ideas, the more, our own moral codes and bring those together and have those discussions. But those discussions will be changed through mutual respect, through love. You know, you say, well, Jay, they're probably not going to respect me. They're not going to like this. A lot of times talking about people in politics, you pro- might be right. Um, but don't let that make you give up love because love, I think, can even take you further. Because it also can expose the... The hatred or the other person's motives. When you come in loving and showing grace, can change things. Um, so, so that's that's a tough thing. Um, I see here it says love also demands boundaries. Um, <clears throat> someone wrote, "Love honoring self and others." I'm, I'm going we're gonna talk about that in a minute, actually, um, and, I, and I think it's important to look at. Because I think if – I'm going to talk about Corinthians 13 in a minute, and I think if 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 we just focused on Corinthians 13, um, you don't see a whole lot of room for boundaries in Corinthians 13. Um, but I think we're going to look at what Hegel has to say. I think we're going to realize there are room for those in where we build boundaries of love. Um, and I do believe we have to love certain people from afar because it's mm-hmm. not possible for us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, And if, you know, I've studied a lot of nonviolence and I've realized to live a nonviolent life, there's certain people I just have to hold it uh, at a way or there's certain people I can't communicate with uh, right now in my life, you know, that I need some time, I need some space Mm. to hopefully one day that relationship will be held. So yeah, I I think boundaries are important, but I'm not not there yet. Um, But uh, realizing that love... And acts and sustains contradictions, which is pretty amazing. Um, you know, um, um, it, it, and, and so contradictions, which are going to always be a reality of life. We're never going to get away from them. You can maybe prove me wrong, but please prove me wrong on that prove hegel wrong on that i'm open to that but as far as i know and can understand to my limited understanding of, of of the world is that we're in humanity is that we will always have contradictions but love learns to embrace those contradictions and almost becomes part of those contradictions and realizing that can really help us um but love can also destroy our dis our our, our stability are you ready for that um when 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 you love someone, sometimes you can't you there's not a choice sometimes there's this idea where you really love someone you know have you ever been just let's just say romantic love, for an example, and sometimes people are like, Jay, you need to separate romantic love and friendship love and family love'm not right now I'm not going to do that so we're just help me here, just join me in my fantasy um, romantic love have you ever met someone? and been romantically attracted to them and liked them. And maybe eventually you had to draw a boundary with them. But before that, you saw this person, you connect with this person, and you go, oh, man, this is going to hurt. You know? You just know, like, (laughs) I'm crazy about this person. I want to be with this person. They illuminate the room when they walk in. You know, and then there's those red flags we always hear about, and we're just like, oh, I don't see any red flags, or oh, I love red. You know, it's so romantic. (laughs) A dozen red flags for me. Um, But we know it's going to hurt, you know. Um, Or sometimes, you know, we sacrifice things for people we love. And sometimes we sacrifice the very people we love because we love them, you know. Someone says, oh, I want to get married, but I I need to go to school first. and I need to do this, you know, and you're just like, this is the person I love, but I want to see them happy. I want to see their lives fulfilled, you know. Okay, you're right. We should break up, you know, and and you do it not because you don't want to be with the person. You do it because you love the person, you know, um, knowing that it's going to hurt you, but you embrace that love and that pain and everything that comes with it and and so love uh, destroys our stability. I mean my love for my LGBTQ brothers and sisters, for example, in my own life, you know, really s- messed with my stability. You know, I was like I can't be silent. I can't do this. I've got to do this. I've got to go there. I've got to march. I've got to meet with people. I've got to sit down and have hard conversations with people. I've got to do this. There's no choice because this is love and love is driving me to do it. And and uh And and, and uh, it's going to be it's not it's not going to be it's not going to get my stability. But but love, you get passion and stability changes. Or if you if you you know if you enter into any type of friendship, you realize that person is a little bit different than you, and you make allowances. Love makes allowances for those differences. Or when you enter into a romantic relationship, hopefully a healthy one, not a toxic one. But you realize there's certain things that you, when you become a member or you raise family together, you have to change and you do certain things. And love really does become this unstabilizing force in so many different ways. Um, you know, being being divorced twice. You know, from two from two people that I loved very much. In those times when that happened. Um, And I wanted to, you know, there was a part of me that wanted to just hold on to that love and hold on to them, and I couldn't anymore. And I knew the best thing for me to do was to go through my own pain, to learn how to maybe extinguish that love a bit, and let them go. Because I wasn't making them happy, because I wasn't fulfilling that place. And that was really tough. It's really tough to love and not be loved I think a lot of us have probably mm-hmm. been there as well mm-hmm. even in family where you feel like your family you know family members don't care about you you know they don't reach out to you they don't talk to you yeah. and, and you love them or their politics are different or their beliefs and faith are different you know mm-hmm. and that love and it just dis- it makes it distable you're, you're, you're not stabilized you're constantly you know you you know you have this relationship that's painful to work through it's not easy Um, uh, for Hegel Christianity became the most revolutionary religion conceived in his mind all of a sudden one of the greatest thinkers of time um, became completely revolutionized completely unstabilized by the idea of love when, when love was not involved in Christianity, he just saw it as something that was good, moral, not bad, but not really different from any other faith or religion. And I'm not trying to tout that our religion is number one. I'm just looking at Hegel. Um, we've got a cat behind us, everybody. Good Guest way, star. Mongo. Mongo in the house. Um, we're going to tear down the whole backstage for you guys. The backstage. Um, but Hegel, he, he, because of love... He is transformed into a, a different type of philosopher, still brilliant and, and still revolutionary. Um, but it's because love. Um, so let's look at uh, Corinthians thirteen for a second. I think this is this is the big love verse in the Bible. We hear it at ch- weddings all the time. Honestly, I don't recommend Corinthians thirteen for uh, for weddings anymore. <laughs> um just because it's I think someone had mentioned earlier boundaries and love. You know, I think when you when you when you're in a relationship with somebody, um you both need to make clear boundaries and set ideas of, of expectations and things like that and work through that and allow love to cover the mistakes of course. Um but this this one's a big tall this is a tall tall duty here that's very romantic but it's not about romantic love Um, it says love is patient love is kind love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way it is not irritable or resentful now so far I've been all these things Um, (laughs) it does not rejoice in wrongdoings but rejoices in the truth it bears all things believes all things hopes all things mm. and endures all things so when you kind of get that this is what love does Oops. this is a concept of, of Christianity um, uh, I think this is one of the areas that Hegel's probably going like wow you know this is a really amazing thing you also have uh, the Christ's last commandment at, you know when he's At the Last Supper, he goes, I want to give you a new commandment. And they go, oh, what is that? And he goes, love each other, which I don't think would be the first time they heard that. Mm. And they go, like, what? And he goes, no, I really want you to love each other because people know that you belong to me for your love for one another. And then we see that Paul comes out here and gives us this really beautiful explanation of love. Um, What's interesting, and this is why I think religion, much like a lot of the, maybe like how we see the, you know it's funny because we see the police form and, and need to change and, and need of reform or need to be taken down altogether everybody's got d- different ideas and opinions on that um, I feel the same way about the church I mean the church is, has hurt people killed people violently persecuted people tore apart homes and different things like that and, and you know maybe maybe the church needs to be uh, uh, completely torn down mm. I'm not sure but when, when Paul starts out in first Corinthians 13, he says, if I speak in a, a tongues of mortals and angels but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith as for to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so I may be boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Um, and I think what we see a lot of in our religion, in and, and, and the tough parts of our religion, and, and the abuse of Christianity, is a, a faith without love. I think when Hegel first looked at it and said, oh, this is a good moral religion, it's nice, you know, he came in, he was trying to help reform uh, the, his, 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 his Judaism and his faith and did that and, you know, it's, it's, those are all good things but you know there's no real big difference with him and, and Jesus's religions and all these other religions and and I think what Hegel came to realize later was um, is that this is what he was seeing when he saw Christianity is he didn't have love so it was just glanging symbols it was nothing it was just noise it was just, not, oh, that's not bad noise. It's just average noise. But then when love comes into it, something transforms. Something changes. Something's radical. And we all know that feeling of love. I think most of us spend our life looking to be loved or how we can love better or love others. Um, but then we also have this group of people who we don't love and we don't care about and we don't think. But we can revolutionize their life with love too because if we want that love, I'm betting they want some similar type of love too. Like how I'm using the Bible there. Right? Um, So you have these ideas, and and then Jesus goes on, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes, love your enemy. You know, love God with all your heart, but equally as important, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, Corinthians 13 ends with there's three things will remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You know, that's the consistent thing. Uh, Was it 1 John where it says, God is love? you know um, so then you get Paul coming out in, in Galatians saying you know even further going well there's no identity in Christ that matter of fact Christianity is the denial of identity mm. you don't even identify I don't even think as you would identify as a Christian not with any cultural reference uh, uh, cultural uh, uh, that's the word I'm looking for
0: um you wouldn't identify as a Christian with any cultural
1: no, like like you know like Hyer- hierarchy. hierarchy, no hierarchy of type of thing. Or, this is my identity, hmm. you know. Love, I think, was the concept of the identity. And Paul, I think, is arguing that the Jew no Gentile, female, slave nor free, we're all one in Christ. But I think he was also saying, but we're not even, you know, we don't, we we have no identity. So strips of our identity. We're called to love, never give up, never lose faith, always be hopeful. Without this love, we're just noisemakers. We're just practicing. We're just practicing some sort of moral code. Um, because the great thing about love is love goes past that. Love breaks through that, and then you, you'll see it in the Bible that that love, Christ, continuously uses love to go to 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 change the Torah. To, to disagree with the Holy Scriptures, uh, that Paul does it too, um, radically and change things. The, the society's uh, way of setting up uh, self-worth and you know who, whose identity and, and finding worth in your identity. Paul goes, nope, no more of that. This love is going to be this great, this great equalizer. Um, so that becomes a really hard thing to do. Now, do I expect that I'm going to go out and do this today? And you're going to do out and do this today? No, but I think that we can learn and we can grow from it, and we can read more and we can study more, and and we become uh, better at doing this. And that we can lose our identities in love. So, you know, I think that's maybe that be all thing to all, I'm all things to all people kind of thing. Um, and um, when you said there's no identity. As Christians, if Christian is actually a denial of the identity, which I think uh, Doctor Rollins argues for as well, um, then we 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 come into what idea of a true equality. You know, we come into this idea of true equality, um, but I'm not going to get into that because it's a whole nother sermon. But I, I just want to think about that for a second. Um, but equality, when, when we love, when we love this radical way, when love becomes this this unstabilizing force in our lives um, equality becomes a no-brainer you know it's a no-brainer and I think a problem is, is rather than a lot of people having this and I think this is what happens with the religion is I, I mean I think a lot of us are raised to care about people we have our parents that we love and or maybe our family that we love as children and even if that changes later, but you know, we grow up with that. Mm. And then religion is kinda of entered into it. The moral code comes into it. And so see here we have we have love with this finger with the skull on it and the eyeball. And then we have cross for moral our moral in you know our moral law comes in. And what we start to do is we start to filter love through the moral law because we think everything is to go through this moral law. Mm. But the thing is, we've got it backwards. Love needs to be here, and the moral law can be back here, and then some things get through, and some things don't, because love becomes the filter. You know, rather than hiding, don't don't hide your light behind a bushel, don't hide your love behind the moral law concept. You know, I'll let love be the thing that 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 really. Everything has to to go through the lens. You know, I wear glasses so I can see, and I, things become clearer when I put them on. And I'll make those, you know, like that. The, I, so that's love for me. Is it, it, love makes things clear. It, it strips down identities. It makes me see a need for quality. It makes me to see like, oh, this person isn't treating this person right, and this isn't happening. This is happening, and there needs to be something that transforms here, um, rather than seeing moral law. When moral law becomes our main concern, we end up with the religion we've had for you know, 2,000 years, uh, goods, goods and bads. Um, so, there's that. And um, so we have failed at this greatly. But if we allow love and reason to be in our lives, and then we do something like we allow the two to become one, if we allow reason and love to become one to unify together and how we reason is through love and how we love is through reason then something beautiful starts to happen. And I really believe that. Um, because now we're not reasoning through that moral code or that legalism or that law or that customs that, that, that we we're, we're reasoning and love come hand in hand. And then there becomes a different type of reasoning. There comes more listening and more conversation and, and uh, respect for others' humanity and one another's humanity. Um, this is really tough stuff. I mean, it's really tough to fine-tune this thing in your life. You know, um, I, r- I really try every day. Um, sometimes I just stay quiet. And I go into my own hole because I just don't know what it, how to do it, mm-hmm. and I have to process it, and I have to think about it, and just think and sit by myself and think, and read and think about it. Um, but I think we failed at this greatly. But I think you know we've we've got to allow love and reason to go hand in hand. Now I'm stripping down some very complicated ideas, uh, philosophical ideas. Um, but I'm doing that so I can communicate it with you because I don't know all the fancy words and also hopefully encouraging you to take it further into an area that I could never speak on it, you know? Um, so now I'm going to read a part to you from the Hegel book. Now this comes back to, you know, oh, Jay, what were you saying about boundaries and loving self-love and, and all this kind of stuff? And I want to read this to you because I think this is the problem a part that you guys will probably push back on a little bit uh, I might even push back on a little bit Um, so I'm going to read from a book so we realize that it's not me (laughs) you don't want to push back on me you're going to push back on some people who have you know one guy's really dead (laughs) and the other guy we'd have to track down so I don't think he has uh, an online account Um, what year is this Um, so And hear this. This is from, from this book right here, which is probably backwards for you guys, but I think Caleb already put up a link to it. Um, but don't read it because then you'll know all my sermons ahead of time. <laughs> um, despite his newfound appreciation for Christianity, Christ, the Christian revolution, Hegel does not accept everything that Christ has to say. He even questions the way that Christ formulates his most important statement, following Kant, but for a different reason. I here, are you guys ready for this? Hegel cannot wholeheartedly accepts Christ's injunction to love one's neighbor as oneself. Da da da. Now this is why it comes. This this, this is hey Amanda, This is I'm I'm trying to answer this question with this book. We're going to tear it apart a little bit, but. Um, Hegel cannot wholeheartedly accept Christ's injunction to love one's neighbor as oneself now Hegel is w- way more intelligent than me uh, or maybe well, well more maybe not more intelligent probably more intelligent definitely but also uh, w- w- way more um, educated definitely more educated I mean this guy like, I had no idea his understanding of the Bible and I opened up some of his writings on religion and I was just like You know, this guy didn't have the same books I've read and didn't have Mm -hmm. Google. (laughs) And he knows a lot of stuff. Um, Brilliant. I'm just blown away by the the theology of this philosopher, or his understanding of philosophy. Okay. The problem is not that Hegel cannot imagine individuals capable of loving others with the same intensity that they love themselves, which is the typical cynical Mm -hmm. response to the injunction— Instead, he rejects out of hand the possibility of self-love, which reveals exactly the role that he gives love in his philosophy. And this is what he writes. He writes, Love thy neighbor as thyself, this is Hegel, does not mean to love him as much as yourself, for self-love is a word without meaning. Do you hear what I said? He said, self-love is a word without meaning. Now, if he was alive today, I think people would give him a lot of meanings on that. But we're going to look at it now. So, so he doesn't believe that the word self-love has meaning. Um, no, he doesn't. Um, Christ's commandment does not make sense to Hegel because he conceives... Love as necessarily involving the other. Do you hear that? So, it doesn't make sense to him because he sees love as necessarily involving the other. For him, he believes that love requires another person. That it's a relationship. That it's with the other. Now, If you accept this, I don't think that means you don't go to the therapist and that you don't do self-care and that you don't do things like that. I don't think that. Um, But I think it's an interesting point that he's making is that for him, love is something that you have to share with the other. That there has to be another person. That there has to be a relationship involved. That loving yourself doesn't add up to him for some reason because I think he understands that, well, I'm a human being and instinctively I am taught to take care of myself, to feed myself, to do this. I, I don't know if he's thinking about mental health or anything like that. I honestly don't know the context within he's, what he's writing. Um, so I'll try to figure that out later. But I do think he's, he's saying, you know, like, I'm obviously going to take care of myself. So what does this mean for Hegel? Um, as a result, Hegel interprets the Christ's commandment as a significant that one must love the other as being akin to oneself. Not a superior, no, listen, it is not a superior or an inferior. The other must be equal in order to enable the subject to identify in differences. Hegel's rewriting of the Christian injunction indicates that his investment in love stems from the introduction of radical difference into the subject's identity. For Hegel, it is impossible to love oneself. Love always involves an investment in otherness. Mm. That would negate the subject. Through its call for love, Christianity makes it clear that identity is constantly involved with what would negate it. Did you hear that? Mm. Christianity makes it clear that identity is constantly involved with that what would negate it. Neither male nor female, nor Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, Christian or atheist. Hmm. Love is the experience of this involvement. So Christianity makes it clear that the identity is constantly involved with that would negate it and love is the experience of this involvement. So saying that when you constantly love people and doing that, you will sometimes be negating yourself. That's tough for me, but I, I thought this was a beautiful thing, so I wanted to share it with you guys. Um, but what I really love, and I want to just focus on before we do the Q and A, is um, this back here. This 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 one this one line that says, "Love the other as being akin to oneself, not as a superior or as an inferior." So, I think he's kind of doing something philosophers often do and, and confusing us. Um, <laughs> Intentionally. <laughs> Intentionally confusing us because he's so smart. Um, but the idea is, is still, in Hegel's eyes, the equality is still a given. No one's above me. No one's below me. Now, I think growing up Christian, there's this martyr ism that you grew up with. Like, oh, I hope one day I die for Jesus. If you ever watch those rapture videos, mm-hmm. and if you didn't get the 666, you got your head chopped off mm-hmm. or something, it's you know, and like, your head. like, no, do you want Jesus or not? I want G- I, I stand for my God. Boom. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like, get the mark. Okay, I'll mm-hmm. take the mark. Oh, we lost him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like romanticizing. <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, we romanticize this idea of that mart- 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 being a martyr mm-hmm. or or you know oh i am nothing i'm a piece of shit i i think that a lot of that comes from calvinism a lot of strong calvinism mm-hmm. is like oh god's so good and grace is so amazing and i'm just a piece of horrible crap that you know hands in the god in the hands are sinners in the hands of an angry uh, god total degradation yeah so i'm just oh i'm horrible you know and yeah i'm horrible and i'm also sweet and good at a lot of things and horrible at a lot of things okay folks but but the idea is here is, is he saying you don't put anybody above you. You don't put anybody beneath you. You know, that doesn't mean I can't look at, at someone like my buddy Pete and go like, man, his education. I really love what he has to say. And I really want to learn from my buddy Pete or man, I really love, you know, Bell's comments, or I really love Martin Luther King, but man, I've never, I mean, he read more Tillich than I did and he's got all this figure. And how did he come from this to this, to this? And, and, You know, how can I be? You know, I can aspire to be like that, aspire to learn from those people, but at the same time, I've recently come to a place in my life where I'm happy to communicate it the way I communicate it. Like, I don't have to communicate it the way King communicated it, or the way Rollins communicates it, or Bell communicates it, or, you know, Hegel communicated it. You know, I just. You know, I, I've got my few friends that we get together here on, on FaceTime and, and, and listen to the podcast, and I communicate it my own way, and I'm glad that there's a few, crazy, a few other crazy folks out there who, who, who uh, relate to my brain. Um, but we don't ever put people above us or below us. And do you think about that? That's kind of a beautiful way. I mean, that's a quality. You know when I see when we see things like saying Black Lives Matter. Well, if we didn't put a black person or or, uh, any person below us or above us, and we did, you know, we all were that. There and with that concept of love, there's something that radically happens there. And if this love is something that I experience with other people, you know, I can kind of understand what 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 Hegel's saying. I'm probably doing it complete injustice. I'm sure I am, but. But, for me to love myself, I had to go to therapists. I had to have a relationship mm-hmm. with someone else and have a communication for me to understand myself and to be comfortable in my skin. You know? Um, for me to love my enemies, it was great to read in the Bible, but I really didn't understand the depths of it until I read Martin Luther King Jr. until I practiced nonviolence. You know? Um, so I think this is talking about true equality. And I hope you guys can read through the lines here. Of what this really means you know I, I I hope that we that when you hear this sermon and you've listened to even talks in the past that this moment of revolution that we're in right now all the work that I've been trying to do has always been to be and be alive in times like this hmm. it's always been To in uncertainty and not knowing what's happening, and violence, and pain, and revolution. You know this. This this whole message is 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 the type that like okay, it's theory, theory, theory. Okay, now it's time to put it to work. Mm -hmm. And and these are the moments when this type of stuff works. These are the type of moments when we when when we take it from to to from concept to reality. Um, and, and you know that's revolutions always stood. With people, and uh, we always will, and uh, because it's just, it's just to me, it's a no brainer, mm-hmm. you know. And I wish I had something more radical to say, but for me, it's it's just live life well, and help others live life well, and uh, and 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 uh, do that to the best of our abilities. Well, we're we're gonna do a few questions here. I see we, we've a lot of people have jumped off. it must be football must be back on. Oh yeah. Man. Oh NASCAR, NASCAR.
0: NASCAR man. Yeah. It's NASCAR season, man. Uh, I have a question for you, Jay, and I wrote it down on a bunch of other ones. No, no
1: questions from Caleb. Caleb is banned.
0: <laughs> well, then you're not gonna have any. <laughs> <you know. laughs> I was wondering when you use the term moral law or moral code, is that learned? Is that like a cultural
1: moral law? I think so. I think it's either learned from your faith and from your parents and from society okay. as a whole, you know.
0: Is that like a personal moral compass kind of thing? Is that what that is?
1: Maybe. Okay. I don't know. Um, yeah, you know, it's like a lot of these people who grew up and are like America, America, mm-hmm. but they were raised where their grandfather fought in oh, World yeah. War II, and their parents, you know, maybe, maybe their parents or the, you know, were in Vietnam, or you know, I mean. They have different com- different ideas, you know, and it's easy for mm. me to be like, oh, you just worship the flag, you know, and, right. and not realizing what lies behind that. Yeah. You know, even if it may be misguided, how do I love that person to go like, hey, can we talk and figure this out? Mm. And just be like, that's how I ref- reflects on me. And then them sit down and go like, well, this is why, you know what I mean? This yeah. is my moral compass. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is why I try. Mm-hmm. Like, if you had tr- grew up in the South, yeah. in like, where I grew up in like North Carolina, and you grew up in like Berkeley, California, Mm -hmm. and we both come together, we might have different moral compasses just based on our life experiences Uh in states.
0: So it's really subjective. I think it is subjective. Yeah, okay. Uh, Bob said, I differentiate between the behaviors of people who say they are Christians and the love expressed by the leading of the Spirit, sometimes contradicting the behavior of the so-called Christians.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's what I also wanted to say before I forgot before I forget um, is that can you see the contradictions in Corinthians 13? Um, How do I be transparent? I've had people in my life who I loved unconditionally. Almost like Corinthians 13, okay? And I realized that probably wasn't the best way to love that person. That wasn't the best way to do it. I became a doormat. And I had to learn other ways to love. Mm. Um, so also like, you know, love doesn't demand its own way. I mean, there just seems to be some contradictions there. And so what I want to find out is where is the unmovable contradiction?
0: Mm.
1: And then where is the one that we can remove? Because I have certain relationships that I've have to remove, mm. uh, certain things where I, I have to love, you know, conditionally. I have to have conditions in that love, or it will destroy me and destroy them,
0: mm.
1: and it won't. And the love will disappear. Is it conditions
0: on the love or on how you express the love?
1: How you express the love? Yeah. How you live that love yeah. out? Okay. You know what you're willing to accept.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like anybody who's been. I think. I think there's a lot of people. Who are in abusive relationships that aren't just codependent, but I think they're they've been taught this concept of love that just is oh, you know, and that we teach oh. in the church it's just this unconditional oh mm. I, I just got to love past that I got to love this yeah. enemy I got to love past it you know and it ends up being this really masochistic, dist- masochistic destructive yeah. thing
0: yeah
1: you know we get it with the sacrifices you want you to make sacrifices or sacrifice yourself or be the martyr. Yeah. You know, so we have to learn. I guess that's where boundaries come in. You know, in some places, some of these boundaries will continue, will cause the love to continue and grow. You know, and um, just finding out where the movable contradictions are.
0: Mm
1: hmm. Uh, Lisa. I'm an armchair philosopher. <laughs> oh, here's my armchair over here.
0: Okay, Lisa said love is unconditional acceptance. Unconditional acceptance says racism is baked into our systems of engagement on personal and collective levels. Accepting this opens up a space to determine what we are personally and collectively willing to tolerate.
1: Hmm. Yeah, no, and I think, I also think, I think there's a part of capitalism that plays into it, Mm. and in poverty that plays into it. Oh, yeah. And... Media mm-hmm. that we've allowed to play into it and uh, just silent message. I think it's something, I, I think it's, you know, and I think just the idea of just someone looks different, someone has a different culture, someone has something yeah. different. And uh, I think we've horribly failed at that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why, the, I mean, it feels like there's all these different types of racism and. and honestly and then right now there's a very violent racism yes and i think we yeah. have to we have to nip that sucker in the bud right, right away
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then we need to start thinking better of how do we change these other types of yeah. racisms and classism that's interesting you know because i think i think part of racism is classism that's projected onto the african-american community mm-hmm. through people of privilege and power yeah
0: uh, Zoe says this community helps me remain connected to those who are different than me it has changed me it helps me drive out my darkness well, that's nice to that hear, is though. nice
1: hopefully we get Lawrence to come and speak for us soon and, and do a QA and a as well because that's um, a great idea I think I'd rather have you know my, my black brother come in and, and talk a lot a little bit more about the effects of racism and the changes of racism um you know that's who i call when i have a question i call yeah. lawrence on the phone and go hey lawrence i need to check this out with you you know am i right am i wrong here mm-hmm. you hey, know what's your experience um you know, how,
0: how you confront an outspoken like violent racist like um i don't know if the race well like you know like a proud boys but no, they're, they're more like that. they're more just they go into bars and like beat up gay people in, in minorities and minorities oh jeez so, yeah, awful but uh some but, rides here oh. sorry my car's in the shop so <laughs> I had to get a ride but how you confront like a violent racist is gonna be different from how you confront uh I don't know like an uh, an older person who's who's just like they're they've just like been saturated with the systemic yeah. racism uh anyway so Zoe says accepting and pursuing oh yeah Accepting and pursuing a life of love has often resulted in a great deal of pain. Fear and pain avoidance have been the greatest enemies to me pursuing a life of love. Pain avoidance, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, me too. And then realizing once again like we were looking at like what contradictions are are, are, are stuck and need to stay and, and what contradictions can we get rid of. I think that's another thing is fear and pain avoidance is what which of those need to be moved as well. Like maybe a little pain avoidance isn't necessarily bad. Um, Mm -hmm. but how do we make that mutual in relationships? And, um, and I have, I have people I fear, you know, and, and how do I make, continue to allow that to be healthy? You know, when, when, when is it healthy and when is it, uh, destructive? Um, perfect love casts out all fear. Mm. Um,
0: so, and then, here's another good one. Uh, Michael was responding to a little uh, conversation inside the chat about the difference between love for self and love for others. Okay. And Michael said, I think that the love is different. We are to love others as Christ loves the church. Me, as an individual, should allow myself to accept the, gifts, the gift we are given, which is grace. To accept that grace in ourselves is loving ourselves. Not self-love, but accepting the grace we are freely given, which is so hard. To not be angry or disappointed in ourselves, jealous or feeling the, but I did this, I gave that, which is selfish. Just simply being humble and grateful that we have grace.
1: That's awesome. I'm going to, yeah, I'm definitely going to go in and kind of probably talk to Pete a little bit about Hegel's unbelief and self-love. Because that's Mm. very interesting
0: to me. Yeah, that is interesting. Maybe he's like making a distinction between...
1: Yeah, I don't know. I have no
0: idea. Uh, and then one last comment here. Lisa says, it's not... I'm not sure what this is responding to. It's not a condition
1: on the love... Oh, but good, on, yeah I wanted to read that one.
0: ...but on how we can express it in healthy ways to keep us available to continue to love. It's not conditioning on love. On the love. How we body. express
1: it. Yeah, I think that's good... I think that's a good... I think that's a good insight you know it's it's how do you know how do we express it and how do we receive it mm. you know and how do we allow it to be received and right. you know and man everybody's different I mean that's another thing is that love is I think that's might be why there's so many contradictions within the concepts of love and why love embraces that because we're all so different you know I mean my friendships me and your friendships, different than somebody else you know me and Kurt's relationship yeah. or you know or me and Lawrence's relationship or me and you know you know, whatever and, and and romantic relationships i've been in you know different they're different people they're different things i you know yeah. I, i've often made the mistake of going in from one romantic relationship mm. to another and having a whole set of rules yeah but those whole set of rules were based on the person that i was with before yep. you know and how i experienced that mm-hmm. so i was like right you know and here are my boundaries and then realizing like well but these folks I, the boundaries it's, have to change yeah. because this isn't a this is a place of... These things that were boundaries here are shared moments with this person. Yeah. You know, they're not walking on me here. Mm-hmm. We're having a shared moment. Right. You know, so it's like I've had... You know, and I've always learned that their hard way by yeah. being like, Oh, I'm sorry.
0: Uh-huh.
1: It's comparing you to the last person. Yeah. Do
0: you think that's like a form of baggage?
1: Yeah, it's a form of baggage. Yeah.
0: But I guess I guess the other person's probably oftentimes bringing in their own baggage too, huh? Oh, yeah, we all yeah. are. Yeah. yeah. Because you have needs that you need to get met... But then the way that that person is going to apply themselves to meeting those needs is going to be different from how the last person did. Yeah. You know, so I need to feel appreciated, but like I need to fight for it with this person, whereas that person is going to give me free.
1: Or, you, you know, know, maybe that person took advantage, the last person took advantage of you or you took advantage of them in a certain place and there has to be a restructuring.
0: Uh, oh, big congrats to Michael. Uh, he says, we were blessed to have a grand a grandbaby number eight born yesterday.
1: Whoa, congratulations. Number eight. Time to start a commune.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can start a little good little uh,
1: team. Yeah, you be, have a, a baseball a, team, huh? Have a bigger, a bigger denominate, I mean, a bigger church than us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, physical conference. You have more grandkids than Revolution has physical confidence. <laughs> He's not wrong. Could you send him to Revolution?
0: Yeah.
1: I think that's about it. All here. right, everybody. Well, thanks so much. Um, I hope this one uh, caused you to think. And uh, be careful out there. Uh, Love each other. I love seeing your faces and and talking to you guys. I love seeing you on on Twitter and Instagram, too, when we run into each other there. And I can't wait for us all to be human beings again and hang out. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: uh, hopefully, you know, maybe next year we'll all get together in Las Vegas or something and all hang out and do a revolution gathering. So, you know, if the world is... Is if, if, if the murder hornets aren't ruling us by that point. Mm-hmm. All right, love you guys. Have a great week. Yeah, this was a great conversation. I love hearing from you guys. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
0: We'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit RevolutionChurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. That was a Post-Christian podcast. <laughs>